And uh, we've got a baptism today down at the creek. Uh, Wyatt Cantrell's going to get baptized. Hey, two weeks in a row. This is good stuff, guys. So if you're able to come and support Wyatt afterwards, right after the uh, service, we're going to go down to the creek and celebrate his baptism. So this is some good stuff. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to be here that we can freely worship you. Holy Spirit, we know you're here today. And so I pray you open our ears to hear, open our hearts to obey. And I just pray whether it's about obedience to salvation or obedience and discipleship following you. Dear Lord, I know there's more experts on grief than me here. And if we live long enough, we're going to grieve. Not necessarily because somebody died, but life brings grief. I ask, the, dear Lord, that you help us to grieve godly and just speak to our hearts and help us to be obedient to you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. I know it's Halloween, uh, but uh, it's in a, don't get me started on some titles churches use for, like, I saw one that said, Halloween Jesus. Okay, that's just trying. Okay, that's okay. Not trying to put it down. That's just weird. Okay, okay. But 500 plus years ago, I'm going to have a little history lesson. A young monk went to the door of the church and he typed, he hammered a letter onto the church. He wasn't being mean. That was the bulletin board of the day. And it was 95 reasons why we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. I'm thankful for the Catholic Church. You know, if it wasn't for the Catholic Church, we wouldn't be here, but any denomination can have its bad spots, even ours. And Martin Luther was struggling with the fact that we are saved by grace, not, but not by anything that we do. And I can associate with him because I'm a recovering legalist in the sense of I got to do this and this to be saved. I got to do this and this to stay saved. And nobody would, the people I hung around, I'm very thankful for, but they would never just go with the grace because they were afraid. Well, man, if it we're all about grace, we'll do whatever we want. But if you love somebody and you've experienced grace, you'd rather do what they want because you love them. And so Martin Luther began to look at the book of Romans and translate it from the original language in the Greek to English. And this is about the 95 Theses. He didn't do it to start a revolution, but it did. And it created a lot of grief in the uh, Catholic Church because now people were realizing. And what he was mainly concerned about, and yeah, it's a history lesson, but we need to understand this because this is grief that was in the church that led to freedom, is the church at the time was saying, if you want your loved one to get out of purgatory, which purgatory doesn't exist, in other words, when somebody dies, they go to this in-between place between heaven and hell, and they spend a certain amount of time depending on how bad they are. But if you want Uncle Bobby whatever to get out sooner and go to heaven, then pay the church so much money, and he'll get out quicker. These were called indulgences. And Martin Luther wrote these things not for everybody to see, because most people couldn't read Latin, and I know you all can, no, my wife and boys can. Don't ask. Okay, a little bit. But this started a revolution. It started a lot of grief and to the point that he was fearing for his life. Because, and then he was brought on trial. And I remember one of the phrases when they asked him to recant, to take back what he had learned from Scripture. He said, I cannot 
and I will not recant, here I stand. What about today? You know, we need to think about this. We're going to have grief. But we need to be grieving godly. That's your point. Grieving godly. And your points are going to be spelled out in that. And if you can't spell grieving, we'll get there. They'll have it down there, okay? But, you know, we struggle. You know, that created a lot of grief. If you live long enough, you're going to have grief and sorrows in life. And this is not to be a downer, but you can choose to respond in worldly grief. When I'm at funerals, a lot of times I'll talk about 2 Thessalonians because it doesn't say that we're not going to grieve, but we need to grieve not like those that have no hope, but with hope. Godly grief. And so how can we see this played out in the Bible, in the real Christian life? What is grief producing in your life today? We never think about that. We always think grief made me this. But what is godly grief or any kind of grief producing in your life. Some people just stop. And guys, I am not making light of what has happened in your life because most of you have been through way worse things than I have ever been through. Stuff I can't even imagine that I feel would shut me down. But we have to ask the question, what is the purpose of grief? The things that we have sorrow for, not just in death. We always just put grief to the loss of somebody, but it can be a loss of anything. And so Paul, we see here, we're going to see in a letter that Paul, again, Paul would be a hard one. You know, if we got a letter from Paul and we weren't acting right, it would be pretty stern. It was a basically a spiritual butt kicking. And if you go to Corinthians 1st or 2nd, that church had some nasty stuff going on in it. And our next Wednesday night study is going to be on church discipline. We're doing these things called church questions. And you guys decide the things you want to know about it. And one of them was uh, church discipline. And a, a church benefits when they practice discipline. And in this day and age, we need to be careful on that. And always the goal of discipline is restoration. And so what Paul is doing, the, the, the church in Corinth was allowing junk in it. And Paul wrote him a pretty stern letter saying, you need to get right. You need to get this stuff out of there. And so now we're seeing here in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8 through 11, Paul's saying, how are you doing with that letter I wrote you? You know? And so it led, it led to this strong letter, church discipline, and then the right, it was the right thing to do, but Paul still didn't enjoy it. The times in my 30-some years of ministry that I've been involved with church discipline, it is not a fun thing. And most of the time, I don't mean this in a bad way, but it has to do with obedience, whether by the church or the individual. A lot of times, we don't want to do that. I have been blessed in, in, in my ministry, and it has nothing to do with me, to see... One example of one scary man in the church that, uh, I'm not talking about this church, so whoever you think you're the scary man, don't worry about that, okay? Uh, but, but, you know, this was the scary man, or at least I felt that way. And he was even out of the church for about a year. And I, I said to the deacons, what are we going to do when he comes back? And guess what? He came back. And we dealt with church discipline. And it was beautiful to see how that man was humbled. And he could have said no. I honestly expected him to, and he really was a scary individual. 
But what's interesting to me, it had nothing to do with me, ever since then he showed me so much respect. And it's not about Russell being boss hog or something like that. It has nothing to do with me. In my position as elder, you know, I, I kind of have to uh, facilitate that. But as a church, you have to approve that. And every church grows well when we practice church discipline. And it's beautiful when you see reconciliation, which is the goal. And so Paul... This is what he was doing. And so, and, and Luther, that's what he was doing. Like, hey, the church isn't right, and we need to get back to the Bible kind of thing here. And the right thing, but he still didn't enjoy it. I've never enjoyed it. And it's never, hey, I'm just, let's discipline somebody in the church. Yay. You know, no. Now Paul's addressing the results of his letter. Okay, his goal uh, and his goal was how they should uh, be going. So we see this in Second Corinthians seven verses eight through eleven. For uh, verse eight, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffer no loss through us. This is the problem we're dealing with society today, and even in parenting. Oh, I don't want my child to be sad. Proverbs is clear, if we fail to discipline our children, we aid in their death. And I'm going to add a little bit, I'm not trying to add to the Bible, but sometimes you may be adding to somebody else's death. We are dealing with a lot of adults that have never been disciplined by their parents. And I don't mean this in a bad way. I'm not trying to put anybody down, but discipline helps us grow. And I don't know any parent that enjoyed disciplining their children. I didn't. And when, when you're a grandparent, it's like, hey, that's your job. I'm just going to love this kid. You know, <laughs> the grandkid, you know. <laughs> or you, I may aid in the fact they may have done something wrong, but they're not going to find out Papa did it. But anyway, but here's the deal. You know, you don't like it, but you know it's for their own good. And that's what Paul is saying. He didn't enjoy correcting them. He didn't enjoy writing the letter. But he's glad of the results. Guys, we have to think whether it's our family or whether it's our church or our spiritual life the long term. But so many times, I don't want anybody to be sad. I don't want anybody to be mad. I don't want anybody to be upset. Well, I don't either. I don't enjoy conflict at all. And the older I get, the more I don't want it. But you know what? I'm going to tell you right now, and if I ever can't, you hold me accountable. I'm going to go with God. Because I have to answer to God on my own, but I also have to answer to God on you. Now, you make your own decisions, but what I present to you from this pulpit, I will answer for. And so, you know what? It doesn't feel good, but I'm going to go with God. It doesn't feel good for you, but you need to go with God. And so that's what he was doing here. And so you see in verse 7, I mean, excuse me, verse 8, grief is being sorry, feeling sorrowful. And he's saying that, it, that he didn't regret it. He, he didn't need to repent from it. Okay? And notice it was just for a little while. And godly grief is not lasting. This is the difference between worldly grief. There are so many people, and I, and, and I want to I be really clear about this. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. Everybody grieves, especially with the loss of a loved one, differently. Here's what I want to help you with. It's not the fact of the timing of where you are in grief. It's the fact if you get stuck. 
And as far as the world's concerned, people like to live in their grief. And again, if you're not hearing me, if, if you're saying, Pastor's telling me to just suck it up and not grieve, no. But a lot of people like to be Pigpen on Charlie Brown and just wallow in it. I do too. I love to wallow. I love to feel sorry for myself and get mad at everybody else, but big deal. I'm talking it to myself. And so, it's godly grief. When, you grie when you're grieving godly, it's not lasting. Godly grief leads us to rejoice, to be glad, and we grieve toward the goal is to repent. And the result is there's no permanent loss, and we are having restoration. That's what Paul was wanting with the church in Corinth. I'm going to tell you some hard things. I'm going to box your ears. I, I remember in church, man, my mom had that Vulcan neck pinch. And when we were being bad, if we got the little reach, or somebody that little box your ears or whatever, you know, and you didn't ever want to go the best of you. No, I don't even know if we can spell it. I don't even know if that's the best of you out there, but I thought it was a place where a kid named Yule, his mom got the best of him. Spank the living love out of him or whatever. You know, if you need to know what a spanking is, well, anyway, we won't get into that. Okay, but, but it's to lead to repentance, no sorrow. It produces, uh, and, and so what we see here, the goal of godly grief is repentance. It's, real, it's, it's the real life in Christ. And notice verse 10 says this, what it produces. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Doesn't that sound pretty good to have godly grief? Felt bad, repented, turned around, have the hope of Jesus, or I go with no hope. And all I am is facing eternal death. Separation from God. Godly grief produces, it works in us, repentance, which is a change of mind, and it leads to salvation, deliverance. When we turn from ourselves and realize we can't save ourselves, and we turn to God for salvation, and this is why it was important what Luther was saying, in Christ alone, by faith alone, in grace alone. How awesome and freeing is that? Leads to our deliverance without regret. Isn't that awesome? No regrets. Oh, brother, where art thou? You know, just like, what about that piggly wiggly that you robbed? That's in the past. You know, some of you get it, the other ones, you just need to go to another level. Okay? All right, anyway. And no sorrow. Now Alan's just, Alan's willing on that one. Okay. No sorrow, no grief. Romans 8.1. Now there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And so, worldly grief is without God. Think about how the world is grieving. I mentioned this. I, I went to two funerals last week, and one was grieving godly. And the other one was grieving how the world grieves. And it was just like, basically, like, pin the tail on the donkey on what hope I ha have as far as the one funeral that was grieving like the world. Pick something to try to put your hope in. Something. And I'm not making light of this, but guys, this is the world and how they grieve, and it really, really makes me sad. Because, man, to have the center and hope of Jesus... And to have that peace that passes all understanding, this is why we should be burdened for those around us. Because worldly grief, all it does is produce dead things. 
Godly grief produces real life. Worldly grief produces real death. Yeah, we haven't even got to the first point, but here you go. There's eight of them. I know you're excited. And I don't have my watch on today, so man, we'll get out maybe two. I don't know. I'm messing with you. Uh, grieving godly takes your first fill-in. Uh, grieving godly takes godly grief. Yeah, I reversed that, didn't I? Uh, that leads to repentance, God, restoration, and salvation. That, see, you need to ask the question, when I'm grieving, when I'm in sorrow, is it leading to my repentance, my restoration, my salvation, my deliverance? What, uh, what, what are the marks of grieving godly? We're going to look at that. How can we know if we're on track? So you can check yourself on this, that you know these are the marks that I am grieving godly. I'm not grieving the way the world is. And right now, if you listen to the news and if you don't have the hope of Christ, then you are grieving. All you see is death and despair. You need to be in the book. So let's look at this. Go back to verse 11. For we see the, what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in this matter. And so here's your another point. Get ready. To grieve godly, we have to be ready to do it. Earnest. That means eager to do it. That means short accounts. In other words, if God lays something on your heart that you're convicted of, guess what? Deal with it then. Don't wait. Put your head to your pillow every night knowing that you're good with God and good with man because you kept short accounts. You need to be ready to do it. And guys, let's just be honest. Yay! I want to repent! I want to stop doing that thing because sin is fun for a season. But just get to the point where you're just obedient quickly. You know, that's awesome. Next we see, for we see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what longing. Grieving only, grieving godly, Get ready for it. means we have to be indignant to sin. Think about it. We don't use the word indignant very much. But that means you hate it. Now some of you are OCD. And that was kind of very interesting to me. I've had some OCD people in various churches. And I've had to learn to chill out because I'm not going to name any names. But a lot of people in my family are slobs. We won't get into that. Okay, but um, so they've helped me chill out one way or another because I've had to ask the question, is it going to matter 100 years from now or not? And so OCD people are weird because there was a guy in my church, I know I'm wearing black, but he would never wear black because he was afraid he was going to see something on his black shirt. Hey, it hides stains. I think I spilled coffee on, on, on the way over here, but can you tell? And, if, and according to Charlie Brown, if you wet your pants and you wear black pants, who's going to know? So there you go. There's some advice for you. But one thing that I could never stand unless I had a jacket on is you will never see me wear a white polo or a white shirt by itself. And I love little kids, but I can remember in church, whether my kids or somebody else, you're wearing a white shirt, no jacket to cover up, and here comes the kid. Yay, yay, yay. You know, it's like, no, I don't want to get a spot on that. I don't want to do that. Or everybody notices anything on the white shirt. Okay? But... That's how I feel about stains and certain things. It's like, I don't want that to get on me. Back off. 
But how many times in our lives are we messing around with sin? The little things. We need to hate sin. Did not, I did not say the person. I did not say that. But we need to start in our own lives like I feel about, don't touch me. I know you got sticky fingers. You know, and I'm wearing white. But why don't we feel that way about sin? Identic to sin. Hate it. And not staining ourselves with it. Your next feeling, grieving godly means we enter in fear. Godly respect and reverence for God leading to repentance. This is why you're not grieving godly, is you're not fearing God. Now, godly fear is this. It is respect. There has been somebody in your life that you have loved, whether a father or mother or teacher, I don't know. But you did things for them because you respected, you revered them. And so the reason you want to follow God and continue to be right with God, unstained from the world, is because you fear God and you respect God and you love God more than blank. Whatever you're trying to put before God. We need to enter in fear, godly respect and reverence for God. Because when we respect what God says, it leads us to repentance, to turn from what we're doing, to turn to Him. Next, Grieving godly means, here's a $5 word, I'm glad she's got it spelled out, means we have to, I can't pronounce it right, Vietnamese, not Vietnamese, you got it. Help me with it, let's say it kids. You even said it weird, I was going to say Vietnamese, I said it wrong, okay, leave me alone. Alright, that means you need to be very intense on that. Desire to do right. In our society today, we're watering things down, and we're watering things down because, oh, my kids don't believe it, or my grandkids don't believe it, or the people around me don't believe it. So they're right, and God's wrong. So you're right, and God's wrong. And again, I'm not talking about hitting people over the head with stuff. But we need to realize that there is a black and there is a white. Yes, there are grace areas, but we need to desire to do what's right. However that's pronounced. I had it down in my mind, okay? Desire to do right. Have a longing to do what's right. Here's the problem. You're letting the love for people be more than the love for God, and then you're starting to say, well, is it really right? Because this is my... And they can't be going there because I wouldn't be with them and I love them so much. Okay, let's go to the reality. Either God's word is true or it's not. And if it's not true, I don't mean it every time I say it. Let's go home. Because there's other things we could be doing. If we don't believe that God is totally right. And notice as we continue in verse 11, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Grieving godly, your next one, in zeal, with a passion to do what's right, to be right. Now, we, we, those of us that have, have watched The Chosen, we know that one of the disciples was a zealot. And I want you to be very careful about that. The zealots at that time were militaristic. And so they were just like hammering people. No, God never, you don't have to push anything on anybody. And you are going to be called probably a zealot just because you bring up that Jesus is the way and they need him instead of whatever they're getting into when God lays on your heart to do that. But you need to have a zeal. You need to do what's right in zeal, not halfway. Oh, I might do it today. No, I must. 
I must do this. And this is where the godly grief comes in. You're grieving and in sorrow until you make it right. I thought I was going to get away without a grandson comment, but got to spend some time with the grandson yesterday. And I noticed some things when he did something wrong that his parents have been teaching him, even on his own. And he'll be two next week. Even on his own, he comes to him and says, I'm sorry. I've done this wrong. That's instilling in them that godly sorrow, that zeal to be right with mom and dad, to be right with whoever, to be right with God. If a two-year-old can begin to get that concept, then what's the problem with us? Because I want my way, or it can't be. Either God is a liar, a lunatic, or He's Lord. And so, you need to have zeal to do what's right. And that zeal doesn't mean you beat other people up. But you don't move. I call myself, you may call me a lot of different things, but I'm a soft stone wall. What that means, what I try to do through the Holy Spirit, is I'm not going to beat you up about it, but if it's the things of God, it has nothing to do whether I'm a pastor or not, I want to be a follower of Christ, I'm not moving. Because here's the problem with American Christianity, we have moved too much. And so we need to have zeal that either our, 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 our family saying is right is right, even if no one's doing it, wrong is wrong, even if everyone else is doing it. God's Word does not change. And so, uh, we need to be passionate about doing right. We need to be passionate about being right with God and with others. And the, right of a grie- uh, and the result of grieving godly, your next film is, we need to see justice, all things made right in Christ. And we can see some justice here, and we can go along lost people and fight for justice, and this way, and this way we may be able to witness to him. There's a lot of things we can get on the same page with lost people on justice, on the fact that God, nobody here is junk, and everybody here has value so much that God sent his son to redeem them, but we need to see justice. We're not always going to see it right now. But one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is why we love the books and we love the movies when everything's gone bad and then it's made right because God has put in us the desire to see right be done. And only He can make it right. need to see justice and all things made right in Christ. Sorry, but nothing will ever be right apart from God. And then the aim of grieving godly is is the goal of being innocent in all things. Didn't say perfect, but innocent. Tried to do what was right. I get in trouble even when I don't try. Okay, so I don't need to worry about that. But I need to make sure that I have done my best to follow God and to be right with both God and man. And I want to make sure I'm more right with God than I'm man because if I'm right with God, everything else will level out. But our goal is to be innocent. Didn't say perfect, but to innocent, to make things right. This is why this, grieving, grieving godly is a good thing because it pushes you towards a better relationship with God and with others. And it doesn't mean you're living in guilt all the time or you're living in sorrow all the time. But if you get anything out of this, it's the short accounts of when you've done something wrong, deal with it. So that you can say, hey, regardless of where they're at, I've made it right. The goal is being innocent in all things. And so the question I have for you today, you know, uh, 
how are you grieving? What is grief producing in your life? And we need to practice grieving godly. I think we got all the points there. Yes, we did. Good job. You thought you were going to be here till four, okay? But let's ask the question really quickly here as we go through these. How are you grieving? Are you grieving with the world? And the world has no hope. They're grieving in despair, and it leads to death, physically and spiritually. So you need to ask this week, and during a time of invitation here in a few moments, you need to ask this week, how am I dealing with this sorrow? Everybody here is going to deal with sorrow. Everybody here is not, we, we always just put it on death, but you know, there's so many things that make me grieve or, or feel sorrow. But are you choosing to grieve with hope in Christ that he'll make things right, or choosing to grieve the way of the world? I want you to understand that with the people that you meet this week, it's not about, I think it's more feeling sorry for them because they're grieving without hope. There's no pinpoint that they can hope to. Time of invitation, you may need to come here physically and pray or talk to me or do whatever, but are you ready to do it? Delayed obedience is still disobedience. You need to practice short accounts. How are you feeling about sin? Are you indignant about it? You know there's one thing that if I mention to you, you just have a diatribe of how much you hate it. I know we're not supposed to hate people, but we can hate things. You know, I'm trying to be good on cats, but I know how I feel about them. Okay? All right? But I know, and some of you are close to hating me for that, but okay. <laughs> Jackie, thanks for your grace. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Been indignant about sin. How about this? How are you treating God? Oh, he's my pal, my buddy. No, he is the creator of the universe that gave you the grace of life, that gave you his son, and you need to reverence and fear him and respect him. And he said clearly in Matthew, why, I'm abbreviating, but I think it's Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to get it wrong, but he, he, he talks about why are you afraid of man that can kill you physically, but why don't you fear God that can damn both soul and hell, and soul and spirit to hell? And you know what? If you're still looking at God that way, that should lead you to salvation. But His love of giving His Son should keep you there on the fact, I love you, God. I respect you. How are you doing with that? Are you desiring to do right? Vietnamese? Well, I didn't say it right. Okay, whatever that is. Okay, I had it in my mind. Okay, all right. Are you, are you desiring just intensely to do what's right? And are you doing it with a passion? Do you have a passion to see right? Because I think what we're dealing with in our society today, mm, uh, I can take or leave it. No. What do you think the dying world wants to see? They want to see, we see all these people passionate about dead things. What if you were passionate about Jesus? And then, uh, do you want to see justice? I want to see justice a lot now, but I don't mean this in a bad way, but I've got to be really careful, but my little test into the justice system, I think you've got to have money to get out of anything. I'm not saying it can't happen, but you have a sinful man dealing, trying to discern things of God. And I want you to understand, do you want to see justice? We should strive for it here, but we should look for it for God. And, the la and lastly, where are you at on your innocence? I didn't say perfect. I said keep in short accounts. 
And you know something? Yeah, this is a long list, but it should be something that be a part of your life that when you endure sorrow, you need to ask the question, God, are you trying to show me something? And so we're going to have a time of invitation as we stand to our feet. And you can come and pray at this altar. I want to, I, it's not about pastor, but you know, I want us to feel more comfortable. This altar is not a place of, hey, let's look who's up there. Or somebody's in, in deep sin. But it's the fact of, hey, I'm coming to pray and to lay something down. Whatever you need to do, take it and lay it down and take up your cross and follow Him daily. And next time you grieve and have sorrow, grieve godly. Lord, I thank You for this day. I thank You for the opportunity to be here. And I pray however need to be obedient that we will follow You today in all things. In Your name, Jesus. Amen.